You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. In connection with uh, the preaching of God's Word, the sermon this morning, we have two readings, one from the Old and one from the New Testament, that are connected with our text from Ephesians 4. So I'd invite you first to turn to Psalm 68. We'll read the first 19 verses. It's a psalm of David, quite possibly used in the liturgy when the Ark of God's Covenant was being brought to the temple. Very fitting psalm. May God arise. May his enemies be scattered. May his foes flee before him. As smoke is blown away by the wind, may you blow them away. As wax melts before the fire, may the wicked perish before God. But may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. Sing to God, sing praises to His name. Extol Him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord. And rejoice before Him. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in His holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. When you went out before your people, O God, when you marched through the wasteland, the earth shook, the heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. You gave abundant showers, O God, you refreshed your weary inheritance. Your people settled in it, and from your bounty, O God, you provided for the poor. The Lord announced the word, and great was the company of those who proclaimed it. Kings and armies flee in haste. In the camps, men divide the plunder. Even while you sleep among the wildfires, the wings of my dove are sheathed with silver. Its feathers are shining with shining gold. When the Almighty scattered the kings in the land, it was like snow fallen on Zalman. The mountains of Bashan are majestic mountains. Rugged are the mountains of Bashan. Why gaze in envy, O rugged mountains, at the mountain where God chooses to reign, where the Lord himself will dwell forever? The chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. The Lord has come from Sinai into his sanctuary. When you ascended on high, you led captives in your train. You received gifts from men, even from the rebellious, that you, O Lord God, might dwell there. Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Selah. We'll turn now to the New Testament, to Ephesians 1, verses 15-23. We read there a thanksgiving and prayer of the Apostle Paul, where he also speaks about the Lord Jesus being lifted up and seated at the right hand of God. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. I also I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glory, glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power 
is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 4, the verses 7 through 13. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Beloved congregation of our ascended, victorious, mighty Lord Jesus Christ. It was Ascension Day this past Thursday. We celebrate it this morning in our worship service as we hear God's Word and reflect and praise Him for the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ and what that means for us. And of the many things that it means for us, one thing that it means is that we receive gifts from Him, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, like a good mother, my mother always taught us, her children, to be humble people. And if she noticed that we were acting in a manner that was not very humble, she might say something like, well, you're acting like you're God's gift to the world. And if she saw someone else who, in her opinion, was not acting very humble, she might say of them, oh, that person walks around like they're God's gift to the world. So I grew up understanding that to call yourself that or to be that, perhaps, might not be a good thing. And you'll also understand that I'm hesitant to say it this morning, but it needs saying anyways, brothers, you soon-to-be elders and Deacons, and you elders and deacons, you are God's gift to the world. You are. Just don't let it get to your head. The fact of the matter is that you are Christ's gift to the world, and more specifically, Christ's gift to the church. That is what our text says this morning. Now, where does it say that? Well, you can see that it's talking about the gifts of of Jesus Christ, the ascended Lord. In verse 8, it says, He ascended on high, He led captives in His train, and gave gifts to men. Earlier, in verse 7, it had said, To each one He gives grace as Christ has apportioned it. And then, of course, in verse 11, 
It says that it was He, the Lord Jesus Christ, the ascended Lord, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So what's going on with this list here? It's talking about the offices in the early church. And it's saying that these offices are Christ's gift to the church and through the church to the world. It's a list of the offices in the early church. It's not a a complete and comprehensive list, nor is it a prescriptive list for today. And you can see that quite immediately after you look at it. It talks about apostles, and apostles were definitely time-limited offices. They were those who had spent those years with the Lord Jesus Christ and, and who had been commissioned by him to be apostles, to go out into the world. They gave direct revelation from Christ in the formative years, and so the prophets are like them. Time-limited office to give direct revelation from Christ, specially gifted by the Spirit for that task, at the very beginning of the New Testament era, of the, the, the beginning of the Pentecost era of the church, when, quite significantly, the full scriptures had not yet been given. And when the church was was growing abundantly by the power of the Spirit. So that's apostles and prophets, a very special office. And evangelists sort of carried on the the office, the work of the apostles, and that, that groundbreaking proclamation work, just like missionaries would today to a region that's untouched or where untouched by the gospel or where the gospel is largely unknown. Pastors and teachers here refers to one office together. Pastors and teachers that describes one office. And we recognize that office today as the office of of minister or teaching elder, as it's sometimes called. So you can see that some of these offices were given for a a short, specific time, for a, a specific task, while others of these offices continue today. And this is not meant to be a comprehensive list of the offices, because we know from further revelation in the New Testament that the Lord has given elders to his church to serve as officers. The Lord has given deacons to his church to serve as officers. And so what's the point here? The point is that these offices, the offices that Christ gives to his church, whether these ones here or the other ones from Scripture, have been given by Christ to fulfill his appointed mandate. He has given these offices to the church. The offices are a gift of Christ to the church. Elders and deacons, you are Christ's gift to the church. Today we celebrate the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ to the right hand of God. What better way to celebrate than to celebrate the gifts that He has given to us His people. Office bearers are the ascended Christ's gift to the church. That's our theme for this morning. And he has given this gift, we'll see first of all, because of his victory over evil. And we'll have to discern and figure out what exactly that means. Because if he's victorious over evil, then why do we even need office bearers to help us? He's given office bearers to equip God's people. He's also given office bearers that we might all together move toward the goal, His goal, the goal of our Lord Jesus Christ, the goal of unity, maturity, 
and fullness. So first, the Lord Jesus Christ has given office bearers to his church because of his victory over evil. That's why, brothers and sisters, the Lord gives office bearers, elders, deacons to the church because of his victory over evil. And now to set this up, I'd I'd like you to return in your mind, if you were here, if not, I'll describe it a bit to you, to the image of the apartment building that we talked about when we were looking at Ephesians 3 a number of weeks ago. The apartment building is, of course, a house within a house. Paul talks about that as believers, we are all temples of God. We are all the house of God where God lives by His Spirit. And then he also talks about how all together we are the temple of God, the house of God where God lives by His Spirit. So in a sense, as believers in His church, we're just like an apartment building. We're like a house within a house. And this apartment building is ruled by Jesus Christ in heaven. And He gives us everything we need in this apartment building to live together in in unity, in harmony, and to fulfill the work that he's given us to do. And he actively rules us as we live together by his Holy Spirit. But the thing that we need to realize about this apartment building is that it's not just any old building put there for any old reason, but this apartment building of the church is Operation Headquarters for the work of Jesus Christ. This is where the action begins. And that action is nothing less than his cosmic battle against Satan, against the powers of evil in this world, against sin. This apartment building is not just where we live, but it's, it's the, the base, the headquarters for our service in this world as we battle, uh, fight the battle of our Lord Jesus Christ, the fight against sin and evil and Satan. And so, brothers, elders, and deacons, Christ has given you to this his body, to serve in this apartment building of the church. And as with us all, as verse 7 says, he has given you grace, and he will give you grace for your task. And that's a very good thing. Because, as we'll see, you're going to need it. You're going to need every resource of the Lord Jesus Christ because He is our ascended Lord and He is the conquering King and He's seated at the right hand of God, the Father, and He has dominion over the powers of evil. Paul talks about this this ascension and this dominion of the Lord Jesus Christ and he references Psalm 68 where in Psalm 68 the Lord is shown as the victor going forward, and and every time they moved the ark, they would say those words, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. As the Lord would move, then the people would say, The Lord is victorious, and we are moving with Him. So the Lord, as Psalm 68 has it, is the victor who leads His captives behind Him in triumphant procession. And Paul applies those words to Christ, who receives as Psalm 68 has it, tribute from kings and nations, but then also distributes, as Paul interprets it here, he gives spiritual gifts to his people, equipping them for the continuing battle that they are in. Also, Paul had referenced this dominion in in Ephesians chapter 1. 
He said that God exerted His power in Christ. Ephesians 1, verse 20. When He raised Him up from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Those words there, power and dominion, rule and authority, was referred to the powers of darkness, to the, the powers of evil. God has lifted Christ above those that He might have dominion over them. And that He might work toward His final victory. So the ascension of Jesus Christ means the superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Having defeated sin on the cross, rising victorious from the grave, Christ has sat down at the right hand of God in, in the highest place. It means for us that victory is is on our side. He's he's accomplished what He needed to accomplish and now He's seated at the right hand of God. It means that we, in Him, are more than conquerors. We're victorious. But you'll realize that it also means that sin and evil has not yet been finally Defeated. Or why would Christ have to pour out gifts upon us and upon his office bearers? And why would he have to give office bearers to his church? If this victory was something that we lived in the completion of already today. No, the decisive battle has been waged as he went to the cross and rose from the dead. The decisive battle has been waged. The the death blow has been dealt to Satan and all his hosts. But the war continues. There's more fighting to be done. And therefore, if Christ has given office bearers as a gift for the benefit of the church, you can be sure that He is using His office bearers to exercise His dominion over the powers of darkness, over Satan, and sin. And so, brothers and sisters in the Lord, congregation of Langley, receive these men here as gifts from Christ. In your battle against sin and evil, these men have been given to you by Christ. Esteem them as your elders and deacons, but also make use of them. They are a gift directly from Christ. Use their wisdom. Seek their guidance. Trust their direction. Help them and let them be of service to you. And brothers, deacons, and elders, remember that Christ is your master. This should both lift you up in your task as you realize that you're equipped for it, but also keep you humble. Because Christ is your master. He's in charge. He gives you your marching orders. We all together live in Operation Operations Headquarters. We're engaged in the spiritual battle together in which our ascended Lord had, has called us to fight. And so let's be united together in dependence upon and service to Jesus Christ as we fight against the powers of evil. As we fight against sin and temptation as we fight against Satan and the ways that he tries to work in this world. And so he's given office bearers for this work. 
because of his victory over evil. Also, he's given them to equip us, God's people. Ephesians 4, verse 12, as we go back to our text, says that all these offices have been given to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Equipping people is about giving people what they need to accomplish their goal. If you're equipping soldiers for battle, you're giving them a sword and a shield and and whatever armor they might need so that they can use that and go and fight. That's their goal, to, to be victorious over the enemy, and you're giving them what they need for that goal. And this is what the Lord Jesus is doing from heaven, at the right hand of God the Father. Scripture tells us that he doesn't know the day or the hour, but he does know the goal. He knows what he's working toward. He's the supreme general who has perfect knowledge of all things and who directs all things according to his plan. It's very comforting to have a general like him in heaven. The Lord Jesus knows what it takes to overcome evil because he has overcome evil himself. He fought against it while he lived on this earth. He even died to fight against it and to defeat sin. And he is also our sympathetic high priest at the right hand of God. That's also what the ascension of Jesus Christ means for us. He knows what it is to struggle against sin and struggle against temptation, to live in this world. He's sympathetic. And and he's willing and, and able to equip us with what we need. And one of the ways that he equips us is by giving us office bearers. You see, the congregation of Jesus Christ is is a body. That's what Paul refers to it as here. It's the body of Jesus Christ. And the congregation is like ligaments inside the body. And the office bearers, we read about that in verse 16, past our text, the whole body joined together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love. And so, The office bearers are to promote the growth of those ligaments. Keep them active. Keep them working. Build them up. You build up ligaments by, by using them. The goal of the office bearers, then, is not to serve Jesus Christ on all of our behalf, that we have some good, pious men to serve Christ for us so we don't have to know. But the goal of the office bearers is to help all of us exercise our faith and hope and love to keep all of us active in serving Jesus Christ that we might grow together. And this is, in fact, the mystery of the ascension of Jesus Christ. Why didn't he just stay on this earth and finish the battle? He... He dealt the decisive blow to Satan when he died and rose. He did all that was necessary to for the forgiveness of sins. Why did he just stay on this earth and finish the job? Why go up into heaven? Well, it wasn't according to the Father's plan. It's not how God wanted to finish his work. But this is how Christ will finish his work. Jesus Christ will accomplish the goal not by himself, not single-handedly as he did on the cross, right? 
single-handedly died for our sins. Nor is he going to do it just by enlisting a few select men, his apostles, or now even perhaps we could say the office bearers of the church. But no, Christ is going to accomplish his goal, not through the few, but through the many. He's going to enlist all of us as he moves forward his kingdom to victory, to completion. He's going to do it through the whole church serving together. Jesus Christ, then, is committed to using all of you in his service as he fights his battles. All of you with who you are and your unique gifts and talents and what he has given to you to accomplish that task. And he will equip you all. He'll use the weak together with the strong. He'll use the rich together with the poor. He'll use the the new Christian together with the long-time child of God. Christ will use and equip all of you. That's what he is determined to do, and that's what he is doing from the right hand of God. And so, brother office bearers, as much as you may be Christ's gift to the world, you're not to be focused on that fact, but to move from your office to your calling. You're to work to equip to prepare, to build up the congregation for works of service. And the form for ordination that we'll read later outlines how this this equipping work is to be done. For the elders, it's to be done in two areas, in in preserving and increasing. You're to preserve the order and peace of the congregation. You're to preserve the doctrine of the church. You're to preserve the discipline of the church. And you're also to increase instruction, instruction in the Word of God. And you're to promote godliness in the lives of God's people here in this church. And you deacons, the work of service that you're equipping others for are in fact very closely related to your own job description. You can even see that in the text. Verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service, for works of diaconia. If you wanted to, the work of deacons, you might even say. Of course, that wouldn't be exactly correct. But you are to serve to make and help others to serve. You're to serve in the areas of needs and difficulties in the congregation. Distributing money and promoting unity, the form for deacons speaks about that. But you're also to prepare God's people for the same works of preparing others Sorry, you're supposed to prepare others for those same areas as well. Where there are needs and difficulties, it's not that you have to always be there, but bring others and equip them for that work. Promote financial stewardship among the congregation and promote unity with us all. And then, brothers and sisters, if these are the tasks of the elders and deacons to be serving and promoting and equipping, then we are the ones who are to be equipped that we might serve. We are the ones who are to have order and peace and preserve good doctrine and and carry out discipline, to grow in instruction and godliness, to serve where there are needs and difficulties, to use our money wisely, to promote unity in the congregation. This is what we all together are doing. This is why the Lord Jesus Christ has given us his office bearers. And of course, we do it all for him. We do it all for Christ. And that then comes to the last point. We do these all these things for the goal of unity and maturity 
and fullness. As we said, the equipping is for a goal. And Paul outlines the goal in our text of unity, maturity, and fullness. And it's always important to keep the goal in mind as we do our work. Otherwise, it's pretty easy to veer off the track. The goal of an elder is is not to do home visits or attend meetings. Those are tasks that help toward the accomplishment of a goal. The goal of a deacon is not to count money or hand out checks or attend meetings. Those are tasks to help accomplish a goal. The goal that you brothers are working toward is the goal that we are all together working toward. It is, after all, the goal of our Lord Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And his first goal is the unity of the church. The unity, as we see here, in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. So the goal is the bringing of us all together in in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. The faith refers to, I think, the teachings of Jesus, uh, the the doctrine of the Old and New Testament, the, the faith of the Christian church, the faith of the apostles as handed down from them to the church at all times and places. That's the one faith that Paul talks about earlier in in uh, verse 4 of chapter 4. There is one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And so the goal is to let schism and separation never drive us apart, but but to promote grace and truth among us that we might always remain united. And also in the knowledge, Paul says, of Jesus Christ. That's the biblical sense of knowledge. That has to do with that close and personal relationship that we have with Christ by faith. And so office bearers should be urging people to walk close to the Lord. And as you urge people to walk close to the Lord, to to live a life of faith, to grow in your knowledge or relationship with Jesus Christ, you will be supporting them in their unity. Christ's second goal is maturity. That refers to completeness, integrity. All areas of of the body of Christ being together and, and mature, strong. That's as opposed to, in verse 14, being like infants. Paul says, then we'll no longer be like infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. So moving forward in the unity of faith and relationship with Christ should guide us then toward confidence and stability in the truth and in service to Christ. It'll protect us from all those uh, those forces of evil and those schemes of men and false teachings. It'll keep us strong and secure. As we move forward in unity of faith and knowledge, we will move forward in maturity. A mature body of Christ is, is deeply rooted in Scripture and in what we believe, in in creed and confession, and deeply rooted as well in humble service and love for Jesus Christ. That will keep us strong against the attacks of the devil and against the false teachings of men. And finally, Christ's third goal is fullness. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And that, that fullness, that word fullness, is a difficult one to describe. Christ is the one who fills everything in every way. But Paul is is getting at, I think, the stature, the size 
of this unity and maturity together. And so it means at least this, don't stop. Don't stop. Don't assume that we've reached this goal of unity and maturity in Christ. Let us not stop moving together toward this unity and maturity. And this gets at the, the tension that we live in in our times, the, what's called the already and the, the not yet. That is, we already have victory in Christ. Victorious over sin, our sins are forgiven. Our place, our eternal life is secured through Jesus Christ. But yet, Satan is not yet defeated. And we still have to struggle against sin. We already have unity and maturity in Christ because of who He is, because He's the one who brings us together and and grows us. But yet, we're not yet complete in Him. We have more room to go. And so, let us pursue this fullness in Christ together. Rooted in Him and built up in Him and growing in Him who is the head of the church. The ascended Lord. He's the Son of God at the right hand of the Father. He's our great high priest. He's our Savior. He's our King. He's Jesus Christ. Let us together grow up into the fullness, the indescribable fullness of Him, the Lord Jesus Christ, at the right hand of God the Father, our ascended and victorious Lord. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.